Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. I'm here again today with Ryan. Um, And we're going to kind of continue the two conversations that we've had around the COVID deniers and anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists and just the whole situation the world is finding itself in at the moment because we like those kind of conversations, Ryan and I. We have a jolly good time. (laughs) So anyway, welcome, Ryan. Thank you. No worries. So we were just talking about continuing those two conversations in because it's almost as though the conversation hasn't gone away. And what happened the other week was I was saying to somebody, saying to a friend, oh, look, somebody stated their opinion and I disagreed with it. And I disagreed with it for these reasons. And this person who's done a lot of personal development said to me, well, you can't do that without making somebody wrong which pulled me up in my tracks because being transformed, I'm not supposed to be making people wrong. However, (laughs) how do you draw that line between stating an opinion, which goes against something somebody else has said, and making somebody wrong? Because to be perfectly honest, I do think they're wrong. They are wrong. I mean, many of them. I mean, statistically speaking, I think they are wrong, yeah. That's a fun one. And I think it's um, it, it makes me think of the, there's a there's a paradox that they talk about, and I cannot remember for the life of me the name of it. But when they talk about politicians, one of the paradoxes they have, slippery slope uh, fallacy, goes that you know if we do this, then this will happen, and then this happens, and then obviously everything's going to be rubbish, and we're all going to die. So we shouldn't take this first step, right? And it's the same. We shouldn't tell people that they're wrong because then we're making them wrong and then we're the dictators and then we're going to take over the world and everything's going to be rubbish and we're all going to die. And that's not what we want. So we can't make them wrong because that's the start of the slippery slope, right? So the problem is that everyone is allowed, like morally, to say what they think. Everyone is allowed to say what they think. And the problem is the idea of making other people wrong stops you from saying your opinion when the other person is quite happily giving a 50-page lecture on the topic of the conversation, which they know nothing about. I think the problem is, like, you are allowed to tell them that they're wrong, that you think that they're wrong. And if you have evidence, then you can say, this evidence also says that you're wrong. So there's, like, 50 other scientists behind me that also say that you're wrong. I think the problem with making people wrong, I think what they're afraid of there is stopping other people from being allowed to speak because they're wrong. I think people are allowed to speak and they're allowed to speak uh, and and be wrong when they're talking. But you can't stop them from talking because they're wrong. I think that's probably what the line should be, the difference between speech and action. You're allowed to think something, but you're not necessarily allowed to take action. It kind of makes sense. It's For me, it was it stopped me in my tracks, and I think this is what happens to a lot of people because most of us don't want to impose our views and opinions on other people. We have those views and opinions, but we don't necessarily want to impose them on people. Mm-hmm. And 
I certainly don't. Yeah, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I don't have to agree with it or think it's a good idea or anything. But I'm also entitled to my opinion. And I think that's the issue because there comes a point. In this particular case, it was I'd put up a post saying I was against the anti-vax marches. Mm. And this particular person responded, as seems to happen at the moment, with a really long comment explaining to me in multiple levels why I was wrong and this, 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 and you should be thinking about this and you're going to end up in a totalitarian state and all this other stuff, which I didn't agree with at all. And that was the case. I had to make a decision then. Do I start arguing with this person or do I shut up and walk away? And I chose in this particular case to shut up and walk away. You don't necessarily want to continue that conversation, but I get what you're saying. You don't want to feel that you're not allowed to Mm. say your opinion because that's wrong. That's unjust because, you know, if you choose not to, to take part in the conversation, that's your choice. But if you're not allowed to take part, in that conversation, like, there's another issue. The issue is that only people who are wrong are allowed to speak then. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And the other thing is, because I chose in that instant to walk away rather than have further confrontation. I'd stated my position. They'd stated their positions. Okay, they don't agree. I'm going. Because I didn't see that any further interaction about this was actually going to achieve anything. Let's just agree to disagree. Away we go. And a couple of friends have said to me, oh, you really need to have a conversation with them about that because the other person has said, oh, did I upset Karen? And a couple of people said to me, oh, you really need to have a conversation with her about that. But I'm in the space of do I actually? I don't feel that I do. I've clearly stated my position. She's clearly stated hers. What is there to have a conversation about? Maybe this person's upset because I just walked away. I don't know. But the other thing in that conversation, and this is what really made me walk away, there was a couple of things that actually go against my core values. One of them was the person said that they were okay with a 3% death rate. And we've spoken about this, the size of the numbers involved in that is not acceptable to me. And I feel very strongly that I don't want to be associated with somebody who does think that's acceptable. That's as far as it goes to me. So as far as I'm concerned, there were a couple of other things as well, but as far as I'm concerned, that's it, conversation is over. Why do I need to justify myself, not make them wrong, and force a relationship with somebody that I don't want to have That's where I'm at. And I think a lot of other people are in that position, which is why I want to go into it, because I really want to delve down and get clear for myself and for other people, anybody that's listening, why we've got to come up with ways of behaviour that supports us without making people wrong, without doing whatever. And I'm using making people wrong in inverted commas there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Being able, feeling like we can state an opinion, our opinion, and it's not necessarily making other people wrong. Am I making sense? Do you know where I'm going with this? In a broad sense, yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm a bit um, confused. 
I was going to say that there's a lot of problems there. The first one, the one that I would want to speak about first, to just to separate this from the issue, is, uh, and this goes, you know, directly out to, to the listeners as well, just a tidbit of wisdom from someone who, who got this figured out and has therefore sorted out a lot of his relationships with people. If you've upset someone, or if you think you've upset someone, you have to go and ask them whether you've upset them. If you wander around to other people and say, hey, is this person okay? Have I upset them? You're acting as if their hurt is hurting you, which makes you the victim, right? Which, which puts them in a sort of antagonist role, which let's be honest, if you have hurt them, is a really manipulative thing to do. I mean, sure, if you spoke to them and they say everything's fine, but people can be complicated. But really, if you think you've upset someone, that's the you need to be the person to go and say, look, none of this is personal. It is just something I want to talk about. I think this is a real issue, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk it out as rational adults and not devolve into kindergarten squabbles. That's the first one. That's the that's the first injustice, I think. And the one that that springboards the rest of the emotions because you know once you've got that like okay that's unfair but also why i'm while i'm here you're wrong about these things too by the way i'm getting a big energy (laughs) that's the that's the that's the vibe i'm getting here which is fair that's a manipulative thing to do if you withdraw from a conversation you haven't heard anything else from that person and then you hear from your other friends about this first person saying, I'm obviously in the right here, I'm a victim, I've upset this person, and now they're being ridiculous, because obviously we're rational adults and we can't have a conversation. Well, why didn't you talk about it? Why didn't you reach out? Why didn't you say, I'm sorry, have I upset you? I don't think that our conversation is worth hurting people over. Then again, you know, if this person really does want 3% of the population, uh, maybe they do think it's worth hurting people over. Who knows? I mean, I, I personally agree with you over that particular statistic. So that's that's the first issue. And I think that's the problem with a lot of these conversations is it starts with um, an injustice in form. When you're arguing and you use a method in your arguing that's wrong, it's not paving the way to be really good at arguing with people. You know what I mean? That's just, you're, you're fighting dirty. <laughs> if we want to have a real conversation about this, we, we need to be fair, rational kind to one another that's what this is all about we're all really it devolves into what we think each individual is the kindest option to take do we think it's kinder to release people from lockdown or do we think it's kinder to save the three percent that's the argument here or i mean it was now that everyone's getting vaccinated those numbers the the death rate is going to go down and you know everything's plateauing and everything's you know hunky-dory more or less now he says from Victoria, the problem state. Because, and that's that's the thing. When you start a conversation by acting wrong, it doesn't matter if you're right because you're wrong. <laughs> I, I actually hadn't cottoned on to how manipulative that comment to our mutual friends is. My response when my, my friends said to me, I said, well, they know where I am they got a problem, they can reach out. That was my response. I chose not to engage in a confrontation and walked away. That was it. And I actually, I just said something close to, okay, thanks for your opinion. I didn't just blank them. And then I walked away. But it is really manipulative. And it has left me feeling manipulated. 
and it's not the first time this person's done it while I think about it. I just want to go into your background here because I need to give people some kind of context as to why we talk about these things because Ryan here for all his youthful, fresh-faced looks because he shaved off all his facial hair. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan did philosophy at school. You Mm -hmm. did, did you do debating? Yes, I did. did Debating. He went on to do psychology Mm -hmm. at uni and then you did a bit of criminology. Is that right? Yep. And then you went on to do a theatre degree. Mm -hmm. So he's an actor, a writer, a playwright, um, and whatever else. (laughs) One of his central things is he studies human behaviour for what he does. You have to for what you do in life, don't you? I mean, let's be honest, if, if you're a good actor, then it's, it's, it's really about understanding people. That's what it all boils down to. And, and psychology and the criminology, the deviance there, really helped with that. But philosophy helped as well, which I did in school. And then I also did at university as well as one of my minors, uh, which you know, gives you a, a certain perspective, not just on how and, and what people do, but also on, on, on the why, the, the bigger questions that Everyone asks themselves and then quietly forgets that they've ever asked because we don't have answers to them. So, yeah, I, I try to, a lot of these things, ask, you know, what are they doing? What am I doing? And what's the third of you? What, what does this look like from the outside? Which I think was, was the question that you didn't ask in that initial conversation. You ask, okay, what am I doing? What are they doing? But you didn't ask, okay, from the outside, what's this behavior? Because that tactic, which is a victimization, a self-victimization tactic, I have hurt this person and they're not reasonable enough to tell me about it. <laughs> something that you, that, you know, once you start using, it is a very easy get out of jail free card for your conscience. If you have the moral that if you've upset someone, they can tell you about it, you start to get a lot lazier about how you deal with people. Because if you choose to believe the people around you are your responsibility, that you have to look after them and be kind to them, uh, and that you are the one who's in charge of making sure that they're safe in every conversation that they have with you. Your first instinct is not to abandon them the moment you think you've upset them. That's what it boils down to. A, A reasonable argument is one in which a person can be wrong and still be safe. That's a reasonable argument. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what science is. <laughs> that's what debating is. And I, I did do debating as well. But unfortunately, Facebook in particular, I, I dislike. I dislike Facebook. Uh, I mean, for its you know, corporate practices. But also because it, it's turned into the old soapboxes in the marketplace. Where you could go with a wacky sign and some understanding that the world was ending. Because if you're right and everyone else is wrong, you, you don't have to listen to them. And you don't have to be kind to them because they're choosing to be wrong. You know what I mean? And that's the attitude I think a lot of people take. Let me talk to you. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent from that springboard. Let me talk to you about people, about the rights of the individual. Um, come, what made me think about that, I, there was this guy that used to stand on a soapbox in the domain down in Sydney years ago and he'd go on about the end of the world and Jesus and God spoken to him and God's told him this, that and the other and the end date changed. 
quite often, <laughs> as you can imagine. Sure. But people are talking about the rights of the individual and my God-given right is to do blah, God doesn't think this. I'm going to go off on a religion tangent here. Um, let me just say I don't like religions. <laughs> just need to say that I'm very biased around this and, and it was funny because the other week I don't know whether you saw on Facebook I got a message through from this woman sister Mercy or somebody in Africa who had this orphanage and she did all this and they were praying to God for me and I was on their favorite person's list and God was gonna bestow his favor on me and could I just send them a hundred dollars please <laughs> no couldn't. Thank you. So all of that kind of thing, the rights of the individual, God's told me and blah, blah, blah. Tell me your view on those kind of things. I'm glad you asked. Firstly, viewer and listener, I take a kind of view of religion personally. Uh, I've done a lot of reading and anyone who delves into philosophy will realize, I think, at a certain point that we know nothing. We know absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever. So a lot of these arguments that we're having about what's right and what's wrong, honestly, we could be wrong. We, we could be wrong about, you know, corona. We could be wrong about vaccines. We could be wrong about a lot of things. I don't think we're wrong, but we could be because there's a lot of what we don't know. And I think in those gaps, a lot of people feel religion, which is very fair. We want to break the universe down into things that we can understand. We want to see patterns. And if the pattern that you see is a religion, then I think that's, that's fair. The problem in religion is not the belief, it is the institution, I think, for a lot of people, because it is easy to manipulate faith. And honestly, that's a whole, that is a whole conversation. But the rights of the individual and God-given rights, pro tip here, this is what I believe, it applies to other people, not to you, right? Just as an individual, rights of the individual do not apply to me. They apply to other people. And I think if everyone took that viewpoint, we'd be a lot happier. Because when people say, this is my God-given right, which is, you know, a spiritual right, or this is my right as the individual, which is a political right, they're using that as a get-out-of-jail-free card to do whatever the heck they want, which means that the consequences of their actions shouldn't affect them, to them. Whereas, you know, anyone who's lived in the real world for more than three seconds understands we are very much responsible for the consequences of our actions. They will always come back to bite us, even if they come back to bite us 50 years later when we die alone. They will always come back to bite us. All we can do is try to atone for the consequences of our actions because everyone makes mistakes. Right? We can't help that. There's a lot of what we don't know we don't know. But trying to pretend that you're allowed to do that and get away with it, scot-free, without consequences, without feeling bad, Let's say uh, that is what in the profession, pardon my French, call a dick move. <laughs> the rights of the individual apply to the people as individuals. They do not apply to the individual as an individual. Because when you think that, when you say it's about the individual, what you're really thinking is it's about me. And it's not about you. It's never about you. It's about other people. Everyone knows that. And privately, on the inside of our brains, honestly, we all see the world from one particular viewpoint. We do fall into the habit of thinking that it's all about us. The people that we interact with, 
the trees that we see on the street, everything was put there for us because we only ever see one perspective. It's an easy pattern to fall into. We've got monkey brains and the monkey brain thinks it's about me. But if you've spoken with a real human being and you really, really listen to them, you realize on the inside of their eyes is a world as rich and layered and significant as your own. And you realize that it's not about you. It's not necessarily about them. It's not about the third person in the street. It's about all of us. Right to the individual is a phrase that I hate. (laughs) And they exist for good reason. They exist to protect other people. That's a really good point. I remember I did one personal development program and they said right at the very beginning of it, don't worry about you getting this. You worry, you make sure everybody else in the room gets this. That's your personal responsibility because then you've got 60 other people making sure you get it. Much more powerful. I also, the other problem I have with rights of the individual is, who was it? Was it Mark Twain that said, no man is an island? Uh, I, I, who was I, it? I can't I, remember. I know the quote, but I can't remember. Yeah, but it's true. No it's true. And that, the rights of the individual jars with that. And I think that's also the problems that I have with a lot of religions. Like you say, the it's actually the institution, although some religions are really dodgy, let's face facts. I class them under cults. Well, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, just, just cult. But the problem I have with it is that it allows people to avoid taking any responsibility for what they're doing and what they're saying and their lives in general. And I personally get quite upset about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> responsibility for your life. Yeah. <laughs> It's an evasion. To tie it in with what we were talking about before is I know somebody who says that she doesn't wear a mask, isn't going to abide by any of the COVID rules or anything like that because God has told her that she doesn't need to. In my world, she needs a good slap around the head because mm. it's she, it's not God talking to her. That's her ego. Yeah, uh, the whole God talking to someone is is a whole can of worms that I'm I'm that's I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> that's her Damn, can of worms. worms. I have read enough of the Bible uh, to to know what a can of worms that is. And you do you, sister. Responsibility mm. is is a big part of this. And honestly, on both sides, on the side that say we need to lift the lockdown, on, and on the side that says we need to be as safe as possible, there are people who are taking responsibility. Like it is a genuine point of argument to say this is worse for us as a people to stay incarcerated. It is terrible that these people will die. It's awful, but it is worse to do this. And that, that is a genuine standpoint. But to say, I believe this because it affects me personally, this is what I want, is, is a very right to the individual perspective. It's where's, where's the love? Nice. Where's, where's the care about the other people in your life? And that's the problem. I, I mean, I personally have seen, on, on the internet in particular, there's a trend towards individualism, which is a very uh, American dream. And then this isn't a criticism. This is just something that I've noticed. I think it comes from the, um, when America was found as, you know, a frontier. It was each man for himself. And, and that has really kind of continued on. It informs a lot of their politics. I, I look out for it. But 
the idea that every man is an island <laughs> is a big thing for them. They, they want to be self-sufficient. They want to have their own home. You know, they want to have their own possessions. It's not a community feel. You know, for generations, we lived in family homes, three or four generations under the same roof, each supporting each other. And look, they, that has their own, it has its own problems. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's, it's the idyllic life, but it's more sustainable, I think. Than, than what we're currently doing. And that idea of individualism that's prevalent in American society is shown a lot on the internet. You can't make a family account. You can only make an individual account. It's very isolating to be alone, to be one voice in, in seven billion other voices and you know, without a concept that this is who I am as a reflection of other people. You know, this is who I speak for. This is the conversation that I have in a group. What the problem is, when people say, you're wrong because of this, this is why what you think is wrong, and you, you, know, you, you will have us living under a totalitarian dictatorship, and being wrong is a crime, and you, know, you should be locked up, and you know, people like me should be in charge of the country. And you know, that's, we're all in this country together, and we all want the same thing. We want to be happy, and we want other people to be happy. I think we just give up on, on the concept of making other people happy because, let's be, let's be honest, people rarely are happy. There's not much we can do about that. For research, I would suggest watching The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin because at the end it's got a wonderful, wonderful speech in which Charlie Chaplin gives an audience uh, the insight into, into the simple life that he wants. He says, I, I don't want to be an emperor. I just want to make people happy. We all want to make people happy. We give up on that, and when we're used by people who forget that. Um, we give power to people who, who want to treat us like machines, like cattle, uh, who want to, to split us up and keep us in pens and put the shadows on. Because as long as our world is a cage, we're not a problem. I, I think that's very relevant. Even today, the idea that we need to argue about this rather than just talk about this is an assumption that... Too many people have made. Out of curiosity, how has all of this stuff that you kind of meander your way through and mull your life over, <laughs> how do you bring that into what you write? Because you've written a book and mm. heaps of plays. How many plays have you written? Oh, I can't even count. There's dozens of the damn things. <laughs> and you've done poetry as well. And, and, and you've got these published too, by the way. You're not just, they're not just sitting on the shelf. And what's the other thing? Oh, the Dungeons and Dragons stuff as well. If anybody's into Dungeons and Dragons, Ryan's been drawing maps since he was about five. And he's now put that to good use by creating all of these worlds. Taught to, I don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons, dude. What is it you create? They're adventure modules. So you, you're basically given a situation. And it's like, you know, the choose your own adventure books. It's like that, but better because you've got one person who tells the story and it says, if these people choose this, this happens. It's, it's consequences. Fun fact. I love writing about consequences. I think they're very important. How do I bring them in? That's, that's a good question. It's not something that I, I think about often is why I think the things that I think that I think, which is, you know, a very complicated question to ask when, when, when you think about it. But I, I write a lot. To give you an insight about microcosms, uh, microcosm being a word that I just adore, which comes from the Greek 
and it means small universe. And you'll see them everywhere. It's a microcosm is a facet of the universe brought down to a tiny, tiny scale, a, a small uh, engrossed community that functions self-sufficiently on its own, um, a tiny reflection of, of a much larger whole. And I, I just love looking out for them because you can see them everywhere. A microcosm could be a lavender bush with, with bees buzzing around it, or it could be the, the little act of kindness of someone tying the shoelaces of a little old lady who's gone for a walk with a dog um, because she can't bend at the, at the hips anymore. Microcosms are everywhere. And looking out for them, I think, reminds us that big things exist in little things. We might not think much of the random post that we see on Facebook about this crazy person, but it is a reflection of something that's happening that's much, much larger. When you have this conversation with someone and they accuse you of, of, of being unkind, of being controlling and, and making people wrong and blah, 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 what are, what are they really saying? Because if that happens once from one person to another person, and that is all that happens, it is not a problem. So where's the problem here? The problem is that, you know, that happens on the daily, that we force each other to be wrong because the only way we can be successful is to be right because it's about us and not about you. It's all about me as a person, as an individual. I'm on my own. I'm an island. Hear me, listen to me, because that's the only way I'm going to be significant. It's all just, why is this happening? What's the motivation here? Which is, in fairness, a lot of what you ask yourself as an actor, you know, you read the script and you're like, why is this person doing this? It helps to give you a certain perspective. Do you make up a whole story for that person before you play them? I don't think that's uh, a story is not really necessary. A lot of people do, uh, and I'm not knocking that. But for me, I tend up to make up I, what I guess you would call rules, which is more like there are kind of people that you meet that are angry all the time and they kind of burn with a seething rage that's masked by, you know, whatever emotion they're feeling. But you know that at any moment you can kind of flick them and they'll just you know, ignite. Or there are people who are constantly sad. And, you know, from that sadness comes, comes a kindness, but also a, a bitterness and a cynicism. Or there are people who are constantly happy because the happy is the only way they know of, of dealing with a world that is uncaring. And they know they have to be a lighthouse in, in this particular storm. There's things like that, microcosms of a much larger whole. You only need to see a piece of the puzzle to understand the shape of it. I think is, is how I try to operate. Microcosms. Love them. Love them. Love microcosms. On an aside, you say you know about three times in every sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Can you stop that? <laughs> no, it's, it's a habit because I think it's me trying to make sure that people are following what I'm saying. You know, but you don't need to. You're quite clear. You know? <laughs> so, it's, it's just a habit. You're right. I'll, I'll, I'll clear it up. It is just, just a habit to make sure that other people are following on my, uh, my train of thought. And I, I can imagine can that's quite difficult to follow your train of thought sometimes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the book, the book that I wrote recently, the one that you referenced before, is um, I think what you were referencing, particularly when it comes to philosophy. It's technically science fiction because it's set in about 30 years' time and it's about an astronaut. But it's, it reads as a book of philosophy. Um, he, is, he encounters all of these various problems and, and talks about 
the lessons that he's learned that helped him to, to cope with this and how he's wrong and why he's wrong and what he thinks he should do. And it, it's, it's just, it, it is about philosophy. It's not necessarily about a philosophy, but it's about how he thinks and why he thinks and the method of his thoughts. And it, it is really honestly just my methods of thinking. I've just written them down, something I did in, uh, in, in lockdown, which I've been in a lot in the last 18 months because I live in Victoria, which gives me a, a good insight. We, we haven't actually discussed our opinions on lockdown. I think they're very obvious. I would like to say, though, that I do live in Victoria. I live in Geelong, uh, which isn't Melbourne, which has been in lockdown for longer than I have. But I don't regret lockdown. And if we needed to do it again, it would be tough, but I'd be okay with doing that because I think people think of, yeah, you know, when you, when you talk about the fear of it all, lockdown is, is, a, is a hard thing, especially if you are an island. If you're an island and you're on your own, I was talking about how down here in Victoria, you know, we've been in lockdown a lot and I wouldn't hesitate to go back in. It's a very scary thing, listener, being in lockdown, but it's scary if you are on your own. And a lot of people are. They can't help that. But lockdown has given me the opportunity to pursue so many of my interests. I've been able to write more plays, more books, more poetry. My poetry volume, by the way, is called Microcosms because I'm obsessed. I've been able to do the map making business, but also I've been painting and I've been cooking and I've been doing a lot of cleaning. The point is we can flourish under any circumstance. And I think it's only the fear of what might be that is really what's causing a lot of these problems. People are right. When they argue about the effects of, of lockdown on a population, they're talking about the fact that people are so afraid. But if we can talk to each of the individuals and say, look, it's going to be okay. You can do this. You're not alone. That would take care of that problem right then and there, just to care about other people. Because people aren't cared about. And that's what's so scary about being locked by yourself in a house. It is. And also it's a, the whole change thing as well. As human beings, we tend, most of us tend to be not good at dealing with change. We like certainty. And COVID has changed our whole world. And that's a lot of the issue. It is a fear-based thing. But also some people, your sister, she's really struggled with lockdown, bless her cotton socks, partly because she lives in a townhouse, there's no outdoor area. She can't get outside and go and rest and get some fresh air or anything. But at least she can go for a walk or, and she's got a few housemates as well, which admittedly have driven her insane, but she's not by herself. When people are by themselves and there's no social interaction, that is really difficult. You've struggled as an extrovert. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I have struggles. And, and let's be honest, there, there are ways of getting around that. We are allowed um, you know, visits to people who live on their own. You, know, you are allowed to go and see people. You do have compassionate care bubbles. You are allowed to go outside for a certain amount of time every day. You, you aren't just locked in a box. They're trying to make this as fair as possible. And it is just the feeling of isolation rather than the actual isolation that is, that is so crippling to us. Because let's be honest, we have the internet. Guys, we have the internet, we have phones, we have computers. We've never been more connected to other people. And yet we've never been so alone. It's funny how it works out, isn't it? Mm. It is. Should we tie it up there? Tie yeah. Up. Is that the I right think... word? Tie it up? Uh, we'll wrap it. We'll wrap That's it up. the word. Wrap. 
Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. So, I mean, it, it all comes back to what you were saying about people arguing like that. The, the vitriol, because it is vitriol. It's nasty. Mm. It's corrosive. The, the problem is, is threefold. Firstly, it's you are allowed to make other people wrong. They've just made you wrong. You can't take action against them, but you're not trying to. You're just trying to talk to them. Secondly, whenever you're arguing with someone, it's not about you, man. It's not about them. We're just arguing. We're both specks in the void. None of us know what's happening. <laughs> just keep that in mind. <laughs> be fair. Be kind to one another. And third of all, these problems are problems because everyone feels alone. And I think nothing inspires kindness more than remembering that. And I think we just, we should be kind. We're allowed to be wrong if everyone's kind. It's just that we're not being kind right now when we should. And that's what I think. Well, we could. I'm just going to add a little bit here because I remembered something. There was a neurosurgeon in the 90s and she had a stroke and it severed the connection between the two halves of her brain. Mm -hmm. And when she woke up, there were no voices in her head. She didn't have any voices in her head. So that little voice, listeners, the one that's talking all the time, making observations, judgments, trying to figure things out, doing all the other things, telling you God's talking to you and telling you to do this, all of those stuff. They didn't exist for her anymore. And all of a sudden she felt connected to everybody because that separation from people, that voice didn't exist for her anymore. She actually does talks on it now. Really, and she studied herself because she's a neurosurgeon. I can't remember a name. And when I find a name, I'll put it in the show notes and I'll put it underneath on YouTube so that you can go and find out about her because that was really fascinating. So if you haven't read that and I thought you'd know about that, go and look that one up because really, really interesting. I, I can tell you as a student of, of psychology and, and, and neuroscience that the brain is a hot mess, guys. We are a hot mess. We are a red-hot catastrophe of, a, of an organism. Right? I am not surprised that that would happen because whoever thinks that this is the perfect way of reaching sentience has never actually looked inside and seen what everything does because it's just a miracle. It is just a miracle that we can walk around properly, honestly. Like, if I were religious, and, and I'm not, in fairness, I would, I would say that the miracle that God has granted is that we're able of functioning not the miracle of building this. This is a hot mess. <laughs> we can still be kind. <laughs> One of these things is a miracle. <laughs> um, what? Why is it a hot mess? Oh, man, it is. I, I... <laughs> it's like DNA, right? For instance, DNA, as we all know, is the building blocks of life, and it's, it's absolutely wonderful because it contains all of the information necessary to build a human being. It also contains heaps of absolute nonsense that is not useful in any way shape or form right it does nothing the fact that dna works at all is an accident as far as we can tell it doesn't do anything it's not jam-packed full of information it has a little bit of information but most of it does nothing it's just there it's not quite the same with the brain because a lot of the brain does do stuff but when you realize that, you know, like different parts of the brain have specific functions, and that is true, 
But if you removed one part of the brain and was like, and put it in a jar and said, okay, do this function, you'd realize that it only functions because that's like it shoots a little pin out, like just to use a metaphor, and you think it's supposed to be shooting at a target. But what it does is it shoots to one of the other guns who shoots something at the same time, and they ricochet off each other. And that one pings off that wall, and this one pings off that wall. And eventually, by all being chaotic at the same time, they run towards the, the, they actually, by some chance, by some freak accident, actually arrive at their intended destination. It's like watching uh, an eight-legged race with, with 12 people who all actually managed to make it over the finish line. That's the feeling you get when you actually take a good long look at the human brain. We need to talk more about that, but we are going to tie it up, wrap it up. That's a whole topic of conversation. We don't have time for that. Right That's now. a really good one. I'm going to write that down because we're going to do that next time. Do that, yeah. We are a hot mess, guys. Thank you so much, Ryan. You're welcome. I, I had fun. This is fun. Yeah, it is, isn't it? All right. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, dude. Right. No worries. for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player and while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too be sure to tune in next week for the next episode and remember if you're busy thinking about what you can't have how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have see you next week